following is a teaching message from Shaw Community Church. For more information on Shaw, for our teaching resources, visit www.shaw.org.nz. Today I'll be reading uh, scriptures from Matthew chapter 6, verse 25, if you want to get those out. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Good morning. Good morning. Um, for those who don't know me, uh, my name's Grant. I am a husband to Joy and father of three uh, very beautiful kids, Paul, Rosie, and Jude. Uh, this morning, um, we're talking about worry. I thought when I was preparing for this message, I thought I'd do something a little different uh, that I don't normally do. Uh, I thought I'm going to make a list of all the things that I'm worried about or could be worried about. Now, I don't know if you've done an exercise like that, but it's surprisingly easy to make that list. I mean, I had, I had all the usual suspects. What if I lose my job? How are we going to pay the bills? Are my kids in the right school? Are they making good friends? Are they being good friends? Am I underweight, overweight, too concerned about my weight, eating enough kale? <laughs> Nobody likes kale. No, okay. All right. And then, you know, I, I remember, gee, there were all these things I used to worry about when I was young and single. Will I pass my exams? Will I get into a good university? Will I find a wife? I just don't worry about those anymore. Life has changed. And then I remembered, oh, when I became a parent for the first time, man, I inherited some worries I did not see coming. I tell you, my eldest boy, he's now seven. When we brought him home from hospital, when he was only a couple of days old, I remember leaping out of bed one night with the fear of God in my heart and I raced over to his crib and put my ear next to his nose to make sure he was still alive and breathing. Okay? Every parent has done that. Every parent here has done that. I'm not alone. Okay? Worry. It's this universal thing, right? We all do it. Everybody worries about something at some stage in your life. Not one of us today can say we don't worry about anything, right? So what do you do with the passage where Jesus says, do not worry? Do we just add it to our list of worries? Oh, great. I don't meet up that impossible standard now. One more thing to worry about. Thanks, Jesus. <clears throat> Look, all I, all I want to do today is I want to focus in on the worries Jesus identifies, the ones he pulls out and says these are important. And I just want to ask why. 
Why are those ones important? Because then I think the passage comes sharply into focus when we understand that. Okay. Now, if I can leave you with one thing today, I want you to just take one thing away from the sermon today. It's that worry is an issue of worship. Okay? There's one thing you take away from today. That's the issue. Worry is an issue of worship. And I want you to keep that in mind as we go through this passage. Okay. There are two main worries in this passage. There's the worry of what will we eat and what will we drink. That's one worry. And that is the worry of having enough, of being self-sufficient, of not going without. And then there's the worry about what will we wear or clothing. And that is the worry about status. Not purely for a physical covering, but how people perceive us to be. What kind of an image we give off to others. Let's have a look at the first one there. What are we going to eat? What are we going to drink? Most people in Jesus' day would have been farmers of some description. Subsistence farmers, likely. So that meant they lived and died by what they could grow out of the ground. So a thing like a drought that would wither your crops or disease which would wipe them out or a flood which would wash them away. This is not just a bad day in the office for these people. This is a disaster. You're virtually destitute, on the brink of starvation. But there's a deeper worry behind that, isn't there? The question then is, well, well, if this has happened to me, what is my life going to be like now? Am I going to have to go into impossible debt I can never repay just to survive? Am I going to have to sell the family farm? Or even worse, if I can stomach it, am I going to have to go cap in hand to my friends and family and beg for help? Now, there will be some people here today who, who have been in that situation, all right? and they'll know exactly how that feels. But even if you haven't, even if you've never been that desperate, I think we can all kind of feel that, you know, that, that doesn't feel great, right? It's going to feel really humiliating on top of a really bad set of circumstances you've been handed. When, um, when Joy and I were, were young and, and childless, <clears throat> those were the days. Uh, <laughs> no, there really weren't. I have to say, it's, I, I, I tell people all the time, there, there's just nothing like being a dad. I love being a dad. Um, we were part of a life group, and this was an awesome life group. You know, we, uh, we're all couples, same age and stage. And um, because we had an American connection in our life group, uh, we, we decided most years we'd put on a Thanksgiving dinner. And it was great. You know, we did all the traditional American things you do in a Thanksgiving dinner. We had a massive turkey. I had no idea how much a turkey costs or how long it takes to cook. They're enormous. And that was the first time I'd actually ever eaten turkey was in, in this home group, so... There's a plug for life groups. Get into life groups. You can, you can try turkey. Um, we did candied yams. We did pumpkin pie. We did uh, green beans. We did everything. And we, we all ate around a massive table, and it was, it was a feast. It was more food than we could possibly eat. And um, one, one year, uh, one of the couples decided, it's, it's our turn to host. And during the meal, they kind of let something slip during a conversation that they didn't intend to say. And uh, they realized what they'd said afterwards. So they said, oh, you know, I'm so glad everyone's just brought so much food today because all we had left in the house was tomato sauce. And we all stopped and we thought, oh, this isn't actually a joke. Pushed a little bit more and suddenly all the truth came out. They'd been struggling financially and pretty badly 
Now, her husband had had to leave his job because the boss was doing dodgy things. He wasn't paying his taxes. So now he's earned all this income, not paid any tax, and the IRD is looking at him saying, I think you owe us some money. He's in a really awkward position. And then he's had to go out contracting. And then when he's doing that, well, you know, when you go out contracting, you probably don't get a full 40 hours week worth of work in a week. You probably don't get the same rates you were on before. You know, when you send out the invoice, people pay. Sometimes they pay late. Sometimes they don't pay at all. And for a while, they'd been down to a single income. And the, the trick for them, and the thing that was really hard, was trying to balance paying rent and buying food at the same time. Often it was a choice between the two. Now, when we pushed a bit further, we found, gee, okay, um, things are going to be back to normal next week. He's back to full-time work, and things are all good. But they'd been going through this for some time. And I tell you, every one of us, we sat there in that dinner, and we all just went, why didn't you tell us? Why didn't you say anything? Why do we have to find out when it's all fixed and better? I mean, we were their, we were their church family. We loved them. Had we known, we would have bought them supermarket vouchers, put petrol in their car. We would have made them meals. We would have found people in the church who were in our networks who could have got them another job. We would have done anything we could. And I think at the very least, we would have stood and prayed with them, right? That's what we do as Christians. That's what we do. We see people that are needy or in need of anything, and we go towards them. We take Jesus' words seriously. What you do for the least of these, you do for me. We're great at that. We have, we, we've had homeless ministries here in Shaw. We've got a relief fund. We've got meal ministries. We've got, you know, word will go out on a text message that says, so-and-so needs their garden done because they've just come out of hospital. Teams of people will turn up and help for free on a Saturday when they could be doing anything else. They'll go and do that. That's what we do as Christians, and that's awesome. We give. We like to help those in need. We are just not so good at putting our hand up and saying, I need help when we are the ones in need. Why is that? Well, I think it's because it cuts against the grain of everything we value most in our lives today, in society and in this world. We don't value needy people. We value successful people. We don't value those who come to us cap in hand asking for help. No, society calls those people lazy and they call them bludgers. We value people that have picked themselves up by their bootstraps and made something of their lives. We love the Colonel Sanders story. You know, I had uh, $10 left, but I had a great recipe for, for chicken. And uh, I tell you, I believed in myself and turned that into a multinational business. And everybody around the world knows and loves my chicken. Except for me, I don't like KFC. Um, Sorry if that offends you. I don't even know if, I mean, does anyone know if Colonel Sanders is really a real person or not? I think he's probably a really successful corporate logo. I, probably a really clever marketing stunt that's played out. But I, I don't think it even matters. It doesn't matter if he's real or not. Because it's the story that has the power. It's the story we buy into. Believe in yourself and you can too. And that's why Jesus has his finger on this worry. Jesus is saying here, remember I said earlier, worry is an issue of worship. Jesus is saying, if your highest value in life is being self-sufficient, if your heart's greatest treasure is having enough and never going without anything, if that's what your heart treasures, if that's what you chase, your worry about not having enough, 
It's being fueled by idolatry. It's being fueled by the worship of a false god. John Calvin said that the human heart is an idol-making factory. We make idols out of just about anything. And in fact, it's often good things that we will turn into idols. Idols are good things that have become ultimate things that displace God from the throne. And Jesus puts his finger on that worry because that's what he wants us to see. He's not... He's not going down on us for saying, like, okay, you know, you shouldn't have any genuine needs here, guys. No, your heavenly Father knows you need these things. There's a myriad of things God knows we need in order to survive, let alone thrive. But Jesus is pointing to something much deeper. When providing for yourself becomes the be-all and end-all of what it means to be a human being, failing to do so means you're something less than human. You ever wondered why, why we feel that guilt and shame when we can't provide for ourselves? That, that's not coming from God. That's coming from the idol of self-sufficiency. If you worship the idol of success, of self-sufficiency, of having enough, your only option in life is to be successful, is to have enough, is to be able to provide for yourself. And the moment you can't, you are sinful to that God. Therefore, the feelings of guilt and shame come along. But they don't come from God. God doesn't demand that we become self-sufficient in order to be loved by him. God doesn't require us to be anything before he loves us. He loves us regardless of who we are. Jesus is saying, who are you worshipping? Worry is an issue of worship. Who's got your heart? Where is your heart? What are you worshipping? You could say the same thing about the worry for clothing. In the ancient world, what you wore said a lot about who you were in life. If you were poor, you wore rags and everybody knew you were poor. So nobody cared about you. But if you wore purple cloth, on the other hand, people knew that you were really rich. You had a lot of influence and power. It's a very difficult and and expensive cloth to make, difficult color to make. And people would revere you. They would follow you around in the marketplace. They'd want your support for their business, support to get them elected to office. You had influence. You had power. You had prestige. There was an aura of reverence about you because of what you had. And everybody wanted to be like you. And I think every one of us has something we want to be highly revered and highly regarded for. We all want someone to look at us and go, wow. Look at them. Aren't they just so great at whatever it is? There'll be something for all of us. I'll tell you now, it's not fashion for me. Surprise, surprise. I've had the same haircut for a decade. You can't do much with this hair. All right. I will begrudgingly go clothes shopping once, maybe twice a year, when my wife makes me. All right. Like every other male in this place. And... um, you know, I will often go shopping for clothes when I do. It's because I've run out of clothes, all right? They are completely threadbare and useless. I cannot wear them anymore. And then no more than came out of the warehouse. I refuse to spend any more money than that. That is splashing out enough for me, all right? Fashion means nothing. Yeah? But I tell you, there are other things, right? For me, I'm not off the hook on this one. There's been other things in my own life that in different parts that I've wanted to be highly revered for. I've wanted people to look at me and go, wow. 
When I was younger, all I wanted to be revered for was being an amazing guitarist. I wanted people to look at me and say, wow, that guy can shred. He can make Van Halen look like a grandfather. You know, sorry, Van Halen's dead. It's a bit of a sore point now. And when I got into a band, all I wanted was people to, to kind of treat me like a rock star light, you know, without all the drugs and other paraphernalia that goes along with it. But I wanted people to come to our shows. And I wanted those shows to be packed out and sold out. And I wanted people screaming for our band and singing the songs. And, you know, I, I wanted to be kind of have to be rushed out of there because people were chasing after us. And rock star light, you know. But, and I think every musician here, if you're honest, it's probably true, right? We all kind of want something like that. Kind of a shame to admit in my age I wanted to be a rock star, but um, it is what it is, isn't it? And there's nothing wrong with that, right? There's nothing wrong with wanting people to like your music. There's nothing wrong with wanting to be good at something, is there? But it's, it's interesting how those good things become ultimate things very quickly, eh? Now, there were times where we were competing against other bands to get good gigs. And what a good gig is, all right? A normal gig is where you have to convince all of your mates to come along and watch you play, all right? That's a gig. Some of you are laughing because you've been those mates, okay? You know what that's like, all right? That's a normal gig, all right? A good gig is where people actually pay money to see a band they like. I mean, imagine that. That was the ultimate dream for me as a band, uh, when, when I was in a band, to, to have people want to pay money to come and see me. So there were these good gigs we would compete for. And when we didn't get them, when we missed out, I would get so angry, particularly if another band got it that I thought was worse than us. Right? How dare they take what is rightfully ours? Who did they grease to get that job? We were a better band. We've got better songs. We put on a better show. Now, we're much better musicians. Those guys are terrible. How could they get the gig? Must have been their cousin putting them in or something. I'd get really, really angry. I, I just, I'd think that they had stolen from us. And then I'd get really sad and depressed and think, oh, you know, what's the point? Why even bother? Why carry on? Maybe for you, it's got nothing to do with music, right? Maybe the good thing for you is, is your career or a business you've built that has slowly over time become an ultimate thing to you. Maybe, you know, you, you have this desperate desire to be seen to be someone who is successful at business or successful in your career, so much so that you're willing to work excessively long hours. It, it comes at the expense of your marriage, expense of your family, that maybe even when you are home, you're not really home. Your mind is still in the office. You're thinking about the next deal, the next sale, how to get on the right project team to get in front of the right management to outsmart your competition to climb the ladder in the office there. Or maybe even simpler for you, like if you're a parent, the good thing could be wanting your kids to, to be successful and do well. But it becomes an ultimate thing when it's success at all costs. And when it's their success, it's got to happen because it reflects on us as the parent. Or maybe even simpler then, you know, you, we want to be known as the parents who have really well-behaved kids so that it looks good on us. Not for their own sake, for the kids but so that it reflects well on us. Hear what Jesus is saying. Worry is an issue of worship. If not getting the accolades and not getting the status you think you deserve is what's driving you, if that's your worry, then your worry is coming out of a place of idolatry. It's coming out of a place 
of false worship, the worship of a false god. Status, reverence, accolades, achievement, these things have become idols to you. Jesus says the pagans chase after these things. I think Jesus mentions the pagans here because of how they worshipped. I think they worshipped differently to the Jews at the time. Now, of course, we know pagans worshipped many gods and Jews worshipped one god. But I think it's how they worshipped that was the key difference here. Jews worshipped Yahweh because they loved him, because he rescued them from their slavery in Egypt. He was their father and they were his children. Pagans, on the other hand, worshipped the gods to get something out of them. They didn't love the gods. They didn't want reconciliation or friendship or relationship with them. What they wanted was what the gods could do for them. What they really chased after, what their heart's desire was, was the wealth, the status, the prestige, the influence, the power. That's what they wanted. The gods were just a means to an end. And Jesus is saying, yeah, who's got your heart? Who are you worshipping? What are you worshipping? Are you seeking God to help him achieve your dreams and build your kingdom so you can feel secure? Are you seeking God to give you the status and accolades you think you deserve? And what Jesus is trying to tell us here is that this is, life is not about our kingdoms. It's not about our achievements and the things we want out of life. Jesus says, seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness. You know, I, I, think, I thought the other day, you know, even if I build up this amazing property portfolio as I grow up and, and I have kids, I can't even control what happens to it afterwards. You know? After I die, who knows what happens to it? And, you know, I might do really well in my job. And I might climb the ladder only to be made redundant when something goes wrong again. The kingdoms we build will perish, will, will perish easily. They'll be like sandcastles. They get washed out with the tide so easily. We've got no control. And I think, you know, even, even with COVID-19 now and, and the world post-lockdown, post-second lockdown for us, all of these things and all our kingdoms we're trying to build, they just seem so much less certain. Everything seems so much more volatile. Whose kingdom are you chasing? Is it yours or God's? Whose praise are you seeking? Is it God's or the world's? When the worry comes up, who's got your heart? Who are you worshipping? So what do we do? What do you do with worry? Jesus says, consider the birds. Now, if you're a farmer, you probably don't like birds. Obvious reasons. They eat your crops. They eat your food source. They're probably unclean. Most of them picket dead animals as well. They're bottom feeders, bottom of the pecking order, pun intended. They are scavengers. And what Jesus is trying to do is to say, take your eyes off yourself long enough to look and behold at the majesty and the wonder of the God who stands behind creation. Look at those insignificant little birds. Greenpeace are not going to write you a letter asking you to protect the habitat of the sparrows or the ravens. It's probably going to be some sort of April Fool's joke that comes out like that. 
They don't care. Most of us don't really care about those birds. We regard them as the bottom, the lowest of the low. They might be nice to have around your garden once in a while, but that's it. But look at the God who stands behind creation. Look at how much he loves his creation. God so loves his world that even the most insignificant of birds have food. They don't have to go and fill a pantry, store a barn, or even do anything, really. There is abundant food for those birds. And it's not like God's hand just drops out of heaven every morning with bird seed on it, is it? They still have to work for it. They still got to go and find it. But God has so made the world in such a way that even the most insignificant of creatures are cared for and looked after by him. They are not outside of his providence. They are not outside of his sovereign control. I am the proud owner of a rabbit now. A black mini Rex. His name is Pepsi. It's the color of Pepsi Cola. And uh, I'm the proud owner of a ginger cat as well. I have had dogs and many cats, and maybe one day I'm going to have some chickens, a goat, and a sheep, much to my neighbor's horror. But I tell you, there is a chasm of difference between how I'm going to treat those animals and how I will treat my kids. All right? I will clean the animals. I will give them food and water. I'll pat them a little bit, and then that's it. Okay? But I will do anything for my children. I'll go without food to make sure they've got something. I'll work any job to make sure I can provide for them, even if it's the most humiliating job I can think of and the only one available. I'll take a bullet for my kids. I'll hide behind the animals when the bullets fly. All right. Sorry for any activists out there. Just, you know, just a horrible situation, I'm sure. Okay. I love animals. Let's just get that on the record. Okay. Now, we know that instinctively as parents. Even as children, we know our parents will do anything for us, right? We know when our parents are good, they they will do anything for us. And we will do anything for our kids. How much more our heavenly father? If If we know that as earthly parents of earthly children, how much more is our heavenly father gonna look to bless us, to look after us, to care for us, to provide for us? How much more? You know, we are the only creatures in all of God's earth to be called his children. God doesn't call the tiger, the bear, the lion, the duck, the cow, the cat, the rabbit. He doesn't call that his children. It's only us. We are the sole creatures in all of God's earth to bear his image. How much more will our heavenly father look after us as his children if that's how he cares for his creation? Jesus is saying, take your eyes off yourself long enough to behold the wonder and the majesty of God because that, that is a God worth chasing, right? That is a God worth pursuing. That is a God worth worshiping. The gods of self-sufficiency and success and status, they will just suck us dry. They will leave us empty and hollow, and they will ultimately destroy us. But this is the only God who will bring us life, the God who longs to care for us and loves us. That is a God worth chasing. I think the other thing Jesus wants us to look at is, is here saying, seek God's kingdom and his righteousness. As I said earlier, I think we, we all have something we want to be revered for. All have something we want people to look at us and say, wow. And so often we're chasing um, achievement in life. We want to achieve something to be a person of worth and substance. 
Jesus is trying to get us to see it's not about what you achieve in life that makes you a person of substance. It's what I have done for you on the cross that makes you something. It's about God and his righteousness and what he has achieved through his son, Jesus, on the cross. I can be a very moral guy. I could be nice to my neighbor. I can uh, not smoke. I can uh, make sure I try and save water in this uh, water shortage and do all sorts of stuff for the planet. I can have great uh, concern for social justice in the world, become an activist and do all of these things. But I tell you, it's only God who makes me righteous. No man of that achievement will make me righteous before God. We're so busy trying to achieve things and prove we're people of worth. But God says, I'm going to give you a status that far outstrips anything you could ever achieve in this life. I know you're not worthy at your core. I know I'm not worthy. I know I'm a sinful, idolatrous rebel who deserves nothing but God's judgment. But Jesus says to me, I love you more than anything, even knowing that. Try getting the world to love you when they know you're like that. I love you so much that I'm going to go to the cross and die in your place. I'm going to take the punishment you deserve. I'm going to pay the price for your sin, for your evil, for your slavery to sin and death. I'm going to take that punishment on myself. Also that you can be made new. So that you can be raised to new life. That makes you a person of worth. It's because of what Jesus has done for us that we are welcomed by the Father with open arms. What I've achieved doesn't make me a person of worth. Jesus being willing to die for me makes me a person of worth, right? I'm incredibly valuable to God. And in Jesus, I am fully forgiven. I am fully redeemed from my slavery to sin and death. The world can't do that. The world can't forgive my sins. I'm washed clean by the blood of Christ. And all that, that is, is a gift of God's grace. I don't deserve it one bit. I'm gifted it out of the sheer mercy of God, out of his grace. I, bring, I loved what the reformers used to say. They said, you know, you... you you contribute nothing to your salvation except the sin which makes it necessary. Fully forgiven, fully redeemed from death, from slavery to sin, washed clean in the blood of Christ, all, all of grace, from start to finish. Jesus says the pagans chase after these things. Yeah, they do. They chase. They endlessly seek after it. They're always moving, always restless, never stopping, always wanting more wealth, power, status, and success. But God calls us to rest. God calls us to rest in the status he's already given us. You know, the world is do, 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 do. I think we've got to be people of rest. I don't mean we can be lazy and don't do anything, right? We've still got jobs to do and lots of things to do in life. But I'm talking about having a deep contentment with what God has declared us to be. With what Christ has done on our behalf. I think those are the two things Jesus does to help us deal with worry. Worry is an issue of worship. He says, take your eyes off yourself long enough and reorient your worship to God. Rest in the status you already have in Christ. Find your, all your identity and everything about yourself in, in Christ. 
Now, if you're somebody who struggles with worry, I'm one of those people too. Okay? Um, and, and we want to pray with you afterwards, if that's you. If, you. if you're struggling with worry for any reason, I want you to come and there'll be someone to pray with you here. I think worries thrive in secrecy. They become insurmountable monsters in secrecy when we don't let on what's going on and what's really bothering us. There was a time when I hated my job so much. I came home one day and said to Joy, I want to quit and I'll be a job seeker. I don't care. I just can't go back there. And as we talked more about it, we knew that just was not going to be an option. I'm the sole provider for a family of five. And all of those worries that came out of how am I going to pay the bills? What am I going to do? Am I going to end up in absolute burnout, getting fired, getting all sorts of stuff happening? They all came up. And I tell you, you know what really helped? My friend Luke called me up. We went out for a drink. And he didn't solve my problem. He didn't have a new job for me. I would have liked it if he did. Um, But he just talked with me. And I tell you what, you know what it did? It emptied the God of self-sufficiency of all its power. Suddenly I had to admit and be okay with it that, you look, you know what? I'm not all sufficient. I'm not all powerful. I don't have all the answers. I can't solve every problem. You know what? It's not just about believing yourself and you can too. I've, I've come to the end of myself at this point. I don't know what else to do. But I tell you, it was so helpful to have somebody else pray with me and say that they care about me. And it can be for you too today. All right. These worries don't have to, have to grow to become monsters in, in secrecy. We are the body of Christ. Paul says, tells us to bear with one another, bear one another's burdens. That's what we can do. So if you have any worry for any reason that you just don't want, you can't deal with anymore, come and we'll pray with you. All right. And I think that's what we do as the body of Christ. We'll lift each other up in prayer and we'll trust that, that God will deal with us. All right, shall we pray? pray. Father God, um, maker of heaven and earth, the almighty, all-powerful, majestic and holy God, you are so holy, so wholly other to us. And Lord, we are finite, floundering beings. Lord, we we have hearts that just make idol after idol, and we seek all sorts of other things when we should be chasing you. Lord, I thank you that even though we are idolatrous in our hearts, that we are rebels, that we do so many sinful things and stupid things all the time, Lord, myself included, you love us and you have an abundance of grace that we could never exhaust. Thank you, Lord, that no matter how much worry comes our way, you always welcome us with open arms. No matter how far we wander from you, you are running towards us. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Lord, I'm reminded of the song. It says, prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. But take this heart, Lord. Take our hearts this morning, Lord. Reorient our hearts towards you, Lord. May they be captured by your majesty and beauty and wonder. May we rest in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ in the status he has gifted us because what he has achieved on the cross. May we be people of rest. And when worry comes, Lord, may we run evermore into your arms. It is in your son's name and for your son's sake we pray these things. In Jesus' name, amen. This has been a teaching message from Shaw Community Church. 
For more of our teaching resources, or to donate to our teaching resource ministry, or for more information on Shore Community Church, visit www.shore.org.nz. Alternatively, you can email office at shore.org.nz or phone 09 415 0455. Thank you for listening.